0: Welcome to Breaking Form, a podcast of poetry and
1: culture. I'm Aaron Smith. And I am James Allen Hall. For those listening for the first time, we do this show in segments. We do literary games. We revisit books that we love. We gossip.
0: We do, we interview. We shade. We laugh. And we are not for everyone. Mm It is today, our second episode in the new year, and we have a terrific
1: interview to bring to you. I cannot wait for you all to hear this conversation with Lynn Melnick, who is the author of Three Books of Poetry and the memoir, I've Had to Think of a Way to Survive, on Trauma, Persistence, and Dolly Parton. Um, The three poetry collections are all from Yes, Yes Books. The first was If I Should Say I Have Hope in 2012. Landscape with Sex and Violence in 2017, and then just this year, along with the memoir, Refuse Nick.
0: And I really enjoyed this conversation. We will bring you part two next week, and part one is right now. We should just get ahead and say how excited we are to have Lynn Melnick with us, one of our very early vocal adopters of the podcast and i want to say thank you like some people yeah, are you. afraid to acknowledge like our downloads like <laughs> don't match like our social media follow- follow on it. <laughs>
1: it's Amazing!
2: i love this show i'm so excited and honored i this show i started listening when i had covid back in december and i listened to like a whole bunch of episodes at once and it was like the thing that got me through covid so i'm that yeah. makes
1: us so happy. <laughs> We've gotten people through COVID, the clap, chlamydia, all the stuff. <laughs> exactly. So it's good. It's good. Okay. But we're here to
0: talk about everything, but particularly your new book, I've had to think up a way to survive on trauma persistence and Dolly Parton. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. It is a fabulous book. Yeah. I cried twice.
2: Oh. I'm
1: sorry, uh, and also happy about that. No, it was, it was really good. It was a good cry. It was like I didn't know that I needed to cry, and then I happened upon a line. Um, both of them, I like. I can remember the page. Like I have a, like a very oh, wow. physical, vibrant memory of the page that I was looking at when I like burst into tears. Um, and I know I just it, it it just happened. Like your the endings of your chapters, by the way are like, incredible.
2: Oh, thank you. I feel like poetry sort of prepared me for that. Like, like, more than anything else, Because prose is a hard transition. But we work so hard on endings in poetry that it just seemed to carry over into chapters.
1: What else carries over from poetry and prose from your books, uh, you have three books of poetry. um, And you've released your third book, just earlier this year, yeah. <laughs> show, show off. <laughs> uh-huh, that's right. Um, and I, I love Refuse Nick too. And in a lot of yeah. ways, I, I really like thinking about Refuse Nick. And um, I've, I've had to think up a way to survive together.
2: Uh, the memoir was written right after the the poetry book. I finished the poetry book and I had like had it with myself and I was just so sick of
0: my own trauma.
2: (laughs) Like like, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, I must do that anymore.
0: I love it. Oh, me again. Yeah. Yeah. that again. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly
2: how I felt. I was like, no, no more. I'm just going to write about something that brings me joy. So I was like, what brings me joy? Dolly Parton. Um, And so I started that book almost immediately after I finished the poetry book and then of course it turned into a book about my own trauma. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like all I can do, but I think the other thing that carried over from poetry was really just my ability to take like sort of disparate things and bring them together and find the connections between them. Because I feel like we do that in poetry in like twenty lines. I'm like, well, I can do this in a chapter. <laughs> like, that's that's possible.
0: So, did you know when you were going to write this that it was going? Oh, you you kind of said it went into trauma, but did you know yeah. it was going to sort of become this? this wrestling with it or do you really think you were doing more of a sort of a book about dolly and how did this emerge
2: it well at first i thought it was going to be more like lyrical essays that kind of just went all over the place but then i had signed a contract with the uh university of texas press's american music series and my editor was like we're gonna need more music in this book." <laughs>
0: There are so, worse things to, for them to ask for. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
2: But it was actually great. And I had actually been holding back because I'm not a music writer, or I wasn't until, you know, just this book. And so I was nervous about, like, how am I going to write about music? So I had to figure out how to write about music. Um, that was really fun. Um, but I don't think I knew exactly how I was going to weave in my stuff except to just see. Where each song brought me and what it called to mind, and and every single this sounds so obnoxious, but every single instinct I had about what the songs were going to do and where they were going to take me was correct, um, and so it just sort of happened organically that I. Uh, you know, and I'm just so used to talking about myself. (laughs) That part just writes itself. I'd actually been, a lot of these, the stories in this book have been talked about in my previous poetry books. Um, And so I would not have been able to write this book had I not written those other books, because it's really vulnerable writing so much of this hardship. And I, I was very nervous about how it would be received, but since I've already told these stories in poetry, I was like, "Well, I can just do this again with more details and actual sentences, <laughs> and it won't be." I mean, it turns out it's just as scary, but it wasn't in writing it. It's just now when I have to talk about it, and it's other people are reading it. Like this, I got a review for the book this morning that called the book ha- my, or not even the book, my life harrowing, oh. and I was like, I. I would never use that word. I mean, I see why they did. Yeah. Like if I yeah. was reading this about someone else, I'd be like, damn. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> when you live it, you're like, that's just the way it went. Right, yeah. Right. That's yeah. what I
2: mean about like, you don't know that you're surviving until you're done doing it. It's just like your life. And you just yeah. kind of go like one day at a time. And yeah, it was harrowing. But now I'm like, I'm like living such a bougie life in like Brooklyn. You know, it's like <laughs> harrowing doesn't, I don't know. I don't feel like it was that severe, but clearly it was. I just, have a different perspective on it
0: james and i had a conversation because james has written prose essays and then um I've only written the stuff in poems and we I always feel like the poems kind of protect you a little bit because you can it, we have the language if people are outside of poetry the language is the eyes never the speaker even though I imagine the three of us here can say we're often <laughs> the speaker you know um but prose it's like you're making that immediate like this is true in a certain way with this book you're saying this is true and did that feel um Was it different in the way, like, does poetry protect you? Does that feel correct to you? And whenever you take that away, is there a different sort of vulnerability or are they both differently, you know, different ways of approaching? Um, I guess I'm just curious about your process between the two.
2: Well, with poetry, I mean, yeah, my speaker is always me. (laughs) And, and yeah, I get really mad when people assume it's me. Same, I just, 100%.
1: Yeah, but
2: why? I've never been able to figure that out. Why? Am I how
1: so- dare you?
2: Yeah, how dare you accurately, you know, <laughs> <things> out. <laughs> I think it's because I'm also, and this is true of the memoir too, because memoir is not like strict autobiography. So you're not like I was born in these, like all these boring things happened with some exciting things. Like this book, I've obviously edited it down, to just things that happen that related to the songs and that are talking about trauma. I, most of the time I'm really boring and like boring <laughs> shit happens to me, right? And it's the same thing with poetry. So like the speaker in my poems is living a lot more of an exciting life than I am. Mm. Like, I swear like half of my life is just like like doing shit for my kids and like walking to CVS. <laughs> <laughs> in
1: really, your boy. fabulous coat.
2: Yeah, well, you have to have a fabulous coat to walk to CVS. That's what got me through the pandemic was wearing this like, all I, the only place I ever went was to the allergist to get my shots and I'd have this like <laughs> fancy dress on in this coat because I was like, this is it. For my public debut for during the pandemic, that's
1: that's something else I really love about the book. How how it's it mixes music criticism, um, memoir, like all this research about Dolly <gasps> interviews, listenings, um, your own poems, but also like uh, encounters with one's ex, for instance. <laughs> right? Yeah. There's, but there's also stuff about writing the book in the book. So it feels like you get to inhabit all of these different layers of time. I had a to-do list and I had to write this chapter and then I could dye (laughs) my daughter's hair.
2: Yeah. I mean, I also was writing this in almost the entire book during the pandemic because I signed the contract to write this book in, I think it was January of 2020 um and I had wow. to finish work on Refusnik. So I had set the intention for myself to begin to work on it in earnest in March of 2020. And then I was working on it in the same room that my younger daughter was attending the 5th grade on Zoom. Like it was hard to figure out where the book and my life started and ended because it was all happening in the same space. Yeah. And so um, I think that's sort of also what um, leads to that feeling of like being very aware that I'm writing a book because it's really hard to concentrate on something, including the research and just like listening to stuff and watching Rhinestone, you know, just mm-hmm. what you have to do when you write a book about Dolly. But like all in this room with my daughter, like I could hear her the fifth grade class happening. Um, And, you know, sometimes she'd be like, turn the music down.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So did you write with the songs playing constantly or did you go to silence some and just go back? Um,
2: I can't write with music on. I've never been able to do that. Like people who do that, like it's amazing, but I find it so distracting, even like music without words. So no, I would listen to the song. I mean, the playlist that I based the memoir off of, I know so well, because I've listened to it almost every day for like 10 years. So I know those songs so well, but I had to listen to like all these other random songs and different versions of songs and live and concert songs. And I would just stop and watch them and then write some more. And I'm just really nerdy and organized about how I approach writing in part because like, just like now having to write with the with the kids at home. And when they were little, they were home more. But then during the pandemic, they were home a lot. And Mm -hmm. I had to just schedule it in. And so it's just a completely unsexy process of writing.
0: I think writing's very unsexy <laughs> <Like> in general. <laughs> maybe some people can like make it sexy. They wear something like they feel really sexy. And yeah. I think it's just a lot of work. Yeah, I
2: feel like Lucy Brock Broto, the, the late poet um, who is also uh, my husband's best friend, she made writing seem extremely sexy. Like, and she had like a sexy way of going about it. Like she would only write in the fall and only at her house in Cambridge and only like between this hour and this hour. And it was like, you know, and she was probably dressed in something super fabulous. And she was just like, that to me was like a very sexy way to write. Like the most of us are just writing
0: in sweatpants on yeah. our phones or something. <laughs> so so I have to ask, I'm always so interested in these things. So when we logged on, um, we noticed your Dolly Parton shirt, uh, <laughs> which we love listeners, it's a fantastic Dolly Parton shirt. And you said that you were going to Skype later with your family. And your parents are mad about the book. So you're wearing the Dolly shirt just to be like, it's not going away. (laughs) (laughs) I I love that rebellion. It's like, we may not talk about it, but you're not going to ignore it. So will you talk a little bit about like what your family's thinking? I mean, because this does feel I mean, your poetry books, did they have a reaction or is this one different or maybe all across your work? Just let us know what. Yeah, I'm curious.
2: Um, okay, yeah, let's make them more mad at me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, if they're, li- if they're listening to Breaking Form, yeah, I, prob- I would be shocked. Yeah, they're already yeah. mad. They're already yeah. mad. Yeah, I, I would be
2: completely yeah, shocked. Yeah. To- um, I they have never mentioned my second book, Landscape with Sex and Violence, to me. Like, it's wow. like it, it's like there's this, it, it just doesn't exist. Um, they, they did like refuse Nick. It's a very Jewish book. They're very Jewish. Um, and it's, you know, it's a lot about Jewish history. And I think that resonated and it, and it, there was a place in which we could meet on it, you know? And I think that was very useful in terms of our relationship. Um, but I think, uh, this is just very uncomfortable for them. I mean, I think just sort of, there's a whole like, like inherited generational trauma thing of keeping your private life private. Um, for a good reason you know because Jews have always been sort of hunted and persecuted you didn't want to give up too much of yourself and that is very strong the, the the culture of secrets has been very strong in my family not just my parents but grandparents and you know just entire generations where you kept everything about yourself a secret <clears throat> like I have um you know like uh, you know, uh, Great great uncles who had like whole separate secret families, you know. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. like, like bananas secret keeping, you know. And like mm-hmm. someone got sick, you never knew why, and then they were dead. Uh, it's just like it's like a really terrible habit, and I think that it was so destructive to me um, because I was a kid with secrets, right? Like it's like you don't, you just you know that you're not supposed to tell this because it it sort of rattles the the myth of the family and, and what we're, we're trying to present to the world is like worthy and good people. Um, and so I think, um, this book for me was just like, Oh, fuck it. I'm just going to tell all of my secrets. Um, and i have been doing that in poetry, but this is really like going for it, um, in a way that I would not have been able to do five, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is troubling to them, you know, for a lot of reasons. Um, but I just, I can't, I just, it has been so freeing to me to just be like, you know what, this is who I am. Um, this is what I went through. This is how I survived it. And like, Yeah, deal with it. It's not going anywhere. I'm still wearing the Dolly t-shirt. Yeah,
0: no, I love it. And yeah, I mean, I think there is the moment it's like, you become like, I mean, you've been an adult forever, but an adult with you know children and a husband, right? and it's like I'm like i'm a, yeah, I'm a full person I'm am a I allowed, ass woman. yeah, am I allowed to have like agency just to tell a story, you know
2: right, but it's a weird thing with parents, right like there's like I'm like a grown ass woman in every other sector of my life, yep. you know and and you know suddenly, I'm like, well, I don't want to upset them. <laughs> You know, and then it's like, do you choose yourself or do you choose them? And I just got to the point where I chose myself. In my family, like the idea, like very not always academic, like until my parents' generation, very working class, but like very bookish. I mean, think Jews in general (laughs) are pretty bookish people. Um, And so, and like to my grandmother, who I talk about in the book, like the idea of writing a book was like the highest, most important thing you could do. You know, she just thought that was like a really like impressive thing. So I'm happy to have been able to at least make her a character in the book. But I think because of that, like there was always interest in my books. It was just, then it was like maybe a different kind of book.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love the, the essay about your grandmother. That was like, that was one of the places I cried just because I'm, I'm such a grandma's boy myself, but there's something for everyone in this book, but for Dolly fans, there's all these little nuggets of stuff. Like I learned so much about Dolly And I thought I knew quite a just by being gay in osmosis, you know. I thought I had a birthright or something. But that interview with Reese Witherspoon and Dolly Parton that you described—have
2: you seen it?
1: Yes, I looked it up because of your book. I did so much googling because of your book. It's amazing
2: part of it like a hundred times i'll
1: describe it describe it
2: so there's this so reese witherspoon has this show uh where she interviews people to find out like how they became big successes and she's you know she's from the south and has always worshipped dolly parton And, and so dolly was her first um guest on her show so she goes to dolly's house and they have tea and then dolly brings out her um a special coat of many colors guitar that's sparkly and patchwork, and it's like there's all this ooing and eyeing, and then she's gonna show Reese Witherspoon her closet, and so she goes in the closet and there's all these gowns. And Reese Witherspoon gasps because, like, you know, she says, "Do you want to try try one on?" She's like, "What?" You know, like, of course. Um, Although, like, literally, no one has Dolly's proportions, so I
1: don't know. I I would like panic. Yeah, I don't think corset of many colors, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, Yes.
2: (laughs) totally. Um, And then Dolly gives Reese this look because she's walking towards the closet and she's still got her tea in her hand, and it's just this fleeting look but she's like you might want to put that t down it says so much and it's it was totally reminded me of my grandmother who like could just give you a look and you got off the couch because she had this couch you weren't actually supposed to sit on right <laughs> of course <laughs> like yes. that's a grandma thing yes. um and Dolly just gives this look where it's like, cause she's so pleasant all the time. Right. But you know, I mean, she's, first of all, she's a Capricorn and she's just like so focused. And you don't get where Dolly is by like, just being like, sure, whatever. Bring tea near my dresses. Like she's, <laughs> she's in control of everything all the time. Mm-hmm. And she gives this look to Reese Witherspoon. That's like, you are a total schmuck. <laughs> my it's with so fabulous. It's amazing. And my aunt <laughs> okay. and my aunt Barbara, who's in the book a lot, um, I sent it to her, and she's like, "Oh my god!" Because like, that was her mom, my grandmother's mom, and she was like, "That is that is totally grandma." <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, you just don't do that."
1: It's it's just a a miracle of how you approach your writing through metaphor that you know y- you've got your life and Dolly's life together, and that it just shows both sides of it, like you. That that look nobody else would write about that look. <laughs>
2: that look was really important to me. I still watch it sometimes.
1: I remember you saying, and I haven't read, the, I haven't reread this chapter, but you are saying something like, "You have another hundred views oh, yeah. of it left in you." Yeah, because it. Yeah. I
2: mean, it's first of all, it's Dolly, but then it also just really reminds me of my grandmother, and so like I. I just I find it comforting in a way, you know. Even though that look is really disappointed in you, (laughs) because you really could have done better.
1: But it it is fleeting, and she's as soon as you act right, right, it's back to
2: exactly like you know.
1: (laughs) Right, exactly.
2: Like it's. I mean, it's the look that every parent hopes to achieve, (laughs) but only if you can. (laughs) So yeah, I love it so much.
0: There's such a sincere devotion to Dolly in the book. It's not necessarily like, quote unquote, a typical way to think about the difficult things in the book is through Dolly Parton. So I love that you bring those two things together and we can find the things that save us wherever, whatever speaks to us.
2: I mean, I think that's sort of, I mean, that's what art and also pop culture is for Mm -hmm. to get us through. And I think that's, I mean, everyone's got their person or people or shows or whatever. Um, and I think like right when I began to write the book, I wasn't even sure how much we had in common. I really wasn't like, I thought like, I mean, cause her upbringing on paper is extremely different from mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and just a- other facts about her, you know, she's Southern, she's very, very Christian. You know, I've, I've always, always lived in blue States and, you know, <laughs> and I'm mm-hmm. very Jewish and, um, And so I just I was like, well, I guess you know I'll figure out why I'm so attached to Dolly. And I thought maybe it was her songs, like they just moved me in that way. But then it was really also her her worldview. And I I I don't think I realized that before I was in the middle of the book. I was like, oh, we are actually very similar people in that we sort of dust ourselves off a lot and keep going, and um, we're very hopeful and optimistic. Which I think that sometimes. Confuses people about me, especially when they read my poetry books and then they meet me in person. Like they look terrified to meet
0: me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like wait a minute, um, you're you're laughing, you're nice, yeah. You
2: know, I'm like this tall, and I'm yeah. like giggling and happy. Um, but like on paper, I'm really angry. Um, but I think that like I don't know. I think this sort of optimism and this just I just really want to find joy where I can. Um, I think Dolly and I meet at those places and I did not realize that before I began writing the book and until I was in about the middle of the book um, before I realized exactly what I was doing. It's like, oh, I'm just, I'm showing the possibility of, of joy and persistence through two different stories.
1: You say that the book is writing the book was a uh, a defiant act of joy or many defiant acts of joy. Um, That's another line I just really loved in the book. Would you um, would you mind reading a little bit about secrets since we were talking about sure.
2: The question that might haunt this chapter is: when a person makes their body into a commodity, how can they stop others from regarding it as one and treating it as disposable? when you put yourself forward as an object, how can you control how you are consumed? Dolly carried a gun on her Times Square adventure with her friend Judy, perhaps because she was so on top of this question and so many steps ahead. As Bessel van der says, it takes an enormous amount of courage to know what you know. Sex work isn't like any other work, because sex isn't like anything else, but sex work is still work, and sex workers' rights are still human rights. Which is to say, sex workers are people and not trash. The Bargain Store doesn't end so much as it moves away with the promise it will continue. It's a song whose speaker hasn't given up. It feels like someone spinning away in circles or refusing to stop spinning in the face of a world that would demand conformity or defeat. It is a refusal of secrets.
1: That was one of the places I cried. (laughs) Fantastic. It's, I mean, the... The line of it takes an enormous amount of courage to know what you know. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, like, it's, yeah. That was uh, the two hardest chapters for me to write. It was one where I talk about my daughter Ada, um, and and then this one, the bargain store se- chapter, which is largely about sex work. Um, just very, very difficult to get through. I mean, just crying while I wrote it. And and this, the bargain store chapter, where I recorded the audiobook. I was so nervous. I was like, "How am I going to read this out loud to like this like twenty two year old sound engineer in the next booth?" He's like, all <laughs> <laughs> gonna the crap out of that guy because um, <laughs> I come in looking like a middle aged mom, and then I'm like, "Well," wow. <laughs> and it just it was so hard for. And I actually it was the only chapter that I nailed like in one reading because I was just like holding on real tight. Um, it's tough for me to get through, but also like maybe the most important thing to me that I've ever written just to be able to write it and say like, this happened to me and I made it through and I am, you know, I matter. Um, I can tell my story and still matter. I think that was a big deal for me personally.
1: I wondered about your parents not wanting to discuss this or, or what you know (laughs) Um, maybe because they had, they have a memory of you, your childhood that didn't include all of these these things. Right. And they want that intact maybe.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think a big part of um, I was going to say Jewish families, but maybe all families or maybe many families is Mm -hmm. myth-making. You know, who are we on the outside and keeping that myth and, and holding that together. And I, appreciate that. One thing about writing this book was that it, I really learned compassion in a way I hadn't before. Not that I wasn't compassionate before, but I learned to be both compassionate to myself and to those that I was writing about. And so I was like, why Why did the people who, who have harmed me or disappointed me, like, why? I mean, some people, you know, you don't, I don't give a shit why they are yeah. just evil people, but but not always. And so I really try to be compassionate and also towards myself in this way. But um, so in terms of that whole idea of myth making, you know, that that we all do to some extent, um, I think I tried to be like to figure out why and and why it was important. And I think it's okay if you want to mythologize yourself because that's your prerogative and we all do it. I don't think it's okay if you want to impose the myth on your children or anybody else because we can't be expected to uphold something that isn't actually our truth. Mm-hmm. Um, although I also understand why you would want that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think um, just like learning how to find compassion for people in the book, um, made me understand it, but also not accept it, or you know. And I think that's that was a good lesson for me. Like I can I can understand it and sympathize with it, but it's a still not okay. And that that story is not my
0: story.
1: No, okay, just stop.
0: That was bad. <laughs> just made me get I'm going to probably.
1: Leave it <laughs> in these
0: ages, I love it. All right, so <laughs> fact check. All right. Welcome to the homofactual. Can I just say I was looking for things to fact check? And because our guest is so knowledgeable about Dolly Parton, obviously, I didn't see anything that we really needed to fact check i did look up also well, you sent it to me the reese witherspoon dolly parton interview so
1: it's so fabulous the look that dolly shoots her like get your tea away from my sequence uh-huh
0: and then here's a little fun fact my sister knows the guy who actually puts the sequence back on dolly's dresses
1: no really for a long time how many yep. sequences he put on per year is what i want to know I don't
0: know, but you opened the closet door and they were falling out. I think Reese <laughs> unclenched and
1: something came from there. Girl, I would steal. I, would, I, would, I You couldn't trust me in her closet.
0: Lynn will be joining us again next week for part two, and we will pick up the conversational myth-making, and we talk about other things about how she navigated writing about her children and just so many other cool things. More Dolly stuff, obviously. I think you all will enjoy it. Thanks for listening to part one.
1: Hey everyone, if you enjoyed today's Breaking Form, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Breaking Form Pod. Review us with five stars on Apple. And we'd love it if you'd support us by buying our books. Links are in the show notes. And remember, we're not for everyone.
2: Right. I'm a <laughs>